a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. On this episode, we're joined by Kim Bajorquez. She is a Latino community reporter for the Sacramento Bee's Capital Bureau and journalist for Report for America. And today we're going to talk about an article she wrote on the use of certain language in describing people of Latin heritage. And I want to say that, first of all, Kim is a former colleague of ours, so thank you for yes. joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. So uh, let's, let's dive into this. Kim, you wrote uh, recently about the use of a term that has become, you know, relatively popular uh, to describe people of Latin heritage, and that is Latinx. And you, you kind of broke down how not everyone is on board with this, this new descriptor. And I was hoping you could explain to us, you know, how you came up with this particular idea to write this story and, and what you found in your research. That's a great question. You know, since I've been here at the Sacramento Bee since last year in June, the most common question I've been asked is how to even say the term Latinx. And, you know, I, I think that that really is telling about the the curiosity that people have, but also the sensitivity they have to referring to, to you know, Latinos or Hispanics in the U.S. And, uh, you know, Latinx is a gender inclusive label that refers to Latinas or Hispanic women and LGBTQ Latinos. And, you know, that's also that can also be very controversial because the Spanish language inherently, they, they gender their nouns. You know, there is a masculine or, or, a, or a feminine version of, of our nouns. And, and you know, there, there is controversy that when you see a group of Hispanic people, they are called Latinos. And e even if there are women in that group, and, and that's really where, where Latinx has, has grown. Yeah. I mean, one thing I thought was interesting in your piece, Kim, and, and we'll share the link in our show notes, but is that um, it's something I've heard, which is, so I was confused about when to use Latino, Latina versus Latinx. And somebody said, you know, nobody likes Latinx because mostly white people use it. <laughs> and I... Yeah, and, and that's... <laughs> Oh, sorry. That's okay. I was just going to say, I, I just wondered if you found that to be true. When you talk to people of Latin descent, were they saying, we don't, we don't want an umbrella term? Or were they saying they felt mislabeled by an umbrella term? I'm, and I'm not even sure who came up with Latin, Latinx. I, I would say that that is a criticism of that term, because... What I've heard is that working class Latinos, you know, haven't heard of that term. You know, I, I looked up a, a 2020 peer research study and I found that 
3% of Latinos in the U.S. who were surveyed for the study only use it. You know, so that means that, you know, there's 96 to 97% of a population that doesn't use the word. And, it, it, you know, here in California, it's something that our governor uses, Governor Gavin Newsom. You know, he uses it during press briefings, during, um, you know, he, he, he uses a label in his tweets. And... There is that criticism that only white people use it, or like, or more specifically, white progressives. And and another criticism is that you know it, it just shows that that they're not connected with the Latino community if, if they're using if, if they're using that term to refer to to a group of people, you know that that, that they don't identify as. Um, one example is during the 2020 presidential election, Elizabeth Warren used that term and and she was she was criticized for it you know for using a term that that hispanic people don't identify as and and you know president trump uh, or former president trump did the opposite and he he really embraced the terms latino or hispanic in his communications to that really important electorate so it i mean do people of latin heritage do they what is the preferred a pronoun that they, they would, or, or I guess is this, is this a pronoun or an adjective? I guess it could be both. What's the preference among those who actually are from this heritage? You know, going back to that research study, it, it said that people would rather be referred to as their country of origin. Um, so that could be Mexican, Cuban, Peruvian, Salvadoran, and um, it's it, it's really difficult, you know, to to categorize people or descendants of over 30 Latin American countries into one group. Um, so, so I think that's where that preference comes from. And at the same time, I also see the term Latinx. I, I see that, you know, you know, I, I see the same debate about that over pronouns, you know, you know, using she or he versus they. And, you know, I, I think it's a matter of, of personal preference. And I think you should ask, you know, if if um, you use the terms Latino and Hispanic, which is you know th- th- those are words words that are used by the census. They're they're um, you know they're in our AP style playbook. Um, you know those are fine terms to use. But if somebody asks you, actually, I don't I don't like that term. Um, you know, will you use Latinx? You know, th- th- then then it's up to you to to decide um, if you want to call them that. But you know, I, I just think it's always important to ask first. Well, one of the things I can you give us a little uh, so Hispanic, in case people don't know, is not a term that um, people of like Mexican descent decided, you know what we should call ourselves. Let's just have a big giant group, you know, an umbrella term for us. It was actually white people trying to describe people who were not white. And that's the thing that I think is interesting it, that it kind of it came about with the census um, when they tried to, I guess, create more categories of uh, race and ethnicity on the on the census and I just wonder what what are you when you talk with people about the terms Latin or Latino or or Latina or Latinx do they bring up Hispanic because I know a lot of Hispanic people don't like it they want to be called Mexican or you know know, Portuguese or where you know they don't they don't want uh, they don't want a catch-all term um, for people who speak Spanish I guess would be the only other way to say it who are not white yeah, and, and you're right to point out that criticism. You know, Hispanic is also can also be a controversial term, you know, because of its association with Spain. Um, and, and also, you know, we have we, we do have Latin Americans or, or Latinos who who live in Latin America or who are descendants who 
aren't Hispanic. Um, you know, so Hispanic is, is a, is a, you know, label that really refers to people who come from a place, you know, where, where Spanish is a predominant, um, language or, you know, there's traces to, to Spanish heritage. And, um, one, like, like one example is that, you know, there are various indigenous dialects spoken in Mexico, but it doesn't necessarily make them, you know, Hispanic just because they live in Mexico. Interesting. I, I thought to myself, you know, when you said that, it, it kind of perked my ears up only because I figured if, if it was from, and, and I'm going to use this term hoping I'm not trying to be offensive, a uh, Latinx or Lat, uh, Latin American country, that that would be okay. But now that you make, uh, you know, you bring up the idea that these are indigenous people and in some ways they are they are native of wherever they happen to be from rather than this catch all term. And they may or may not even speak Spanish. It, or it may be some dialect that, you know, is similar, but not quite the same. So, you know, the, this, the same issue came up with other minority groups. And I guess what, what I would like to do is talk about that as well, because in, in America, uh, people of Latin heritage are becoming the largest, if not already, the largest minority group in the United States. And pretty soon they will become the majority group. And it's, to me, it's important to get this right, because it, it is a matter of, A, humanity and respect for those who would prefer to be called what it is that is comfortable for them rather than an easy catch-all and comfortable for us. It's not about us making it easy for us. It's about just being respectful to other people. We'll continue our discussion with Sacramento Bee reporter Kim Barocas, who you're listening to Voices of Reason. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, we are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, talking today with Kim Bajorquez. She is a Latin communities reporter for the Sacramento Bee's Community uh, Capital Bureau, and uh, she's also a journalist for Report for America. And uh, today we're talking about an article that uh, Kim wrote uh, in the Bee, basically kind of uh, giving us a primer on the use of ethnic descriptors. And in this case, it's uh, describing pe- people of Latin descent and of indigenous uh, I guess, descent, depending upon what countries you're talking about. And uh, Amy came up with this idea of talking about just the idea of ethnic labels. Mm -hmm. And I I think we all understand kind of why uh, they are used, and that is for convenience sake. However, there's always, uh, particularly if if it's the person being described, there may be some point where they're not necessarily comfortable with uh, the labels they've been given. And uh, this is this is part of that discussion, I would I would say, especially as the way Kim had described it, because uh, Latinx, which has become a, a somewhat uh, popular uh, word to describe people uh, people of Latin heritage, has become more and more uh, you know used in the lexicon. But not everybody uh, is good with that. Well, and I I think um, I think if we're honest about ethnically and racial labels. They make it easier when you say they make it convenient. They make it convenient for white people to decide who's not white. 
<laughs> and when we're looking at um, how we define race, and people always get upset when you talk about what is a social construct, what is not a social, what is what is DNA? You know, obviously cultural um, traditions are passed down, and people have a heritage that's that you we can see and 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 experience for ourselves. But there. The, the idea of dividing people into races and, and ethnicities is really um, a white concept, and it's to basically be able to account for, you know, uh, how many and who gets what privileges in a society, and um, and that and 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 the the term Hispanic comes out of the census and being able to count people who are let's be really blunt about it, not white. And so I've actually talked to professors, and I know I've. Um, on Code Switch, one of our favorite podcasts, they talked about there's a, a black professor who uses the term non-white, but most normal people out in conversation are super uncomfortable with that. I don't know, Jason, would you like to refer to yourself as non-white in a group setting? Or I think it's Kim? pretty obvious I'm non-white. And I, I think <laughs> Kim and I wouldn't have to make that distinction. But I, I would say, so Kim, I, I know, uh, and I, I might have mentioned this to you a few decades ago, you know, because in America, uh, People of African heritage, uh, myself, African-American, have gone through, uh, I don't know, generational changes in the words that are used to describe us. Yeah. And so when I was born in the 60s, uh, Negro is still a thing. And, and in fact, I remember in the 70s when we, kept, we pretty much got away from that. I mean, uh, by we, we were just black then. And it just became black and white, despite the fact that nobody's black and nobody's white. I mean, uh, in all honesty. But yeah. that, that, again, is just a descriptor. And then... In the 80s, they came up with African-American. And it's kind of to the point of your article, actually, that is, it's all-encompassing, but it, it describes people who, generally speaking, are from uh, African heritage. However, I remember I had a friend of mine who was from Haiti, and though there may have been, you know, some decades ago, those were indigenous people in the Caribbean. So they weren't necessarily from Africa. And I always felt as though that was... Uh, not inclusive by making them be like me because, you know, my people happen to be from, you know, probably from Africa. So as, as it relates to uh, people of Latin heritage, this is kind of the same discussion, but not from, uh, it's, it's not being done internally, but uh, being, uh, it's the, being the conversation being driven from people who are outside the culture. Yeah. I mean, I guess, Kim, what what terms are you comfortable with or uncomfortable with as far as these kind of ethnic and racial labels? In my last segment, I talked a lot about the criticisms of, of Latinx, but um, the truth is that there, there's a lot of Latino millennials who are increasingly coming out as LGBTQ. And, and because of that, you know, you're seeing... Um, you know, gay Latinos use the term Latinx even more, um, even even in um, Latin America. Um, Latin, I'm not sure if Latinx has taken hold, but I know that there's a term in, in South America um, called Latin A, and and it's it it, it ends um, with an E, and, and that's something that 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 people are are embracing in 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 South America. Um, so. So, so I think, um, you know, in the U.S., you know, Latin A might not be as popular and in Latin, and the term Latinx in the U.S., you know, might, might be used, you know, among white progressives. But, but I think that there's also, you know, a case for it, um, you know, because of its inclusiveness. 
Um, oh. but, but, but you asked personally, you know, what, yeah. what I, um, what, what I'm comfortable with. And, you know, I, 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 re I refer to myself as a Latina, um, and, and, you know, I'm very proud of that. Um, but if, if, if I had a friend who, who identified as Latinx, you know, then, then I'll, you know, then I'll call them that, you know what I mean? But, um, I, I think if somebody who wasn't in my community, if they just referred to me as Latinx, um, you know, I, I, I might have an issue with that and, and, you know, j just because, you know, it's not my people calling me that. I do think it's interesting the way language is evolving right now because, I mean, I, I remember when I started in the pa at the paper 30-ish years ago, um, I asked to create a beat called Minority Issues. And that would be, um, you know, basically a beat that would cover, uh, like you talked about reporting gaps and, and that's what Report for America is looking at. Um, but that's what Minority Issues was for me. But now, they, you know, fast forward to today, they're not in the minority numbers wise, right? So it's not a correct term anymore. Um, and, and some people have said like, uh, you know, marginalized or disadvantaged, all of those things feel insulting. You know, they feel kind of condescending. And, um, and I just wonder like, what do you see, what each of you guys see going forward about our language on this idea of if people of color is falling out of favor, um, you know, because it, and I, and I understand why it's falling out of favor. It tries to, you know, give an umbrella to vastly different experiences. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I just wonder what you guys think going forward. Um, because we can't talk about people who are not white in a society that was basically built for and by white people. Um, should we stop worrying about it? I don't know. Kim, what's your thought on, uh, uh, people of color. You know, it's it, it's a term that that I have used in the past. It's something that I continue to use. Um, but you know, I, I think language is always evolving, and, and I hope that there you know is a term in the future that better encompasses um, you know such a large population of people. And I think it's you know as a journalist, it's just always really important to be specific about the people that you're talking to. You know, I hear I hear um, the term black and brown a lot. And, you know, while I have, a, you know, while I have like a clear, you know, description of like what black means, you know, what is brown, you know, like, and, you know, like so many people can fall under that. Um, so, so that's, I would say like the term brown is something that I do have issue with just because it's so broad, um, you know, like who, who, are, who are we really talking about? And, um, you, you know, go, going back to, to, to um, your question about you know, how, how language has changed or how labels have changed, you know, more than 50 years ago in California, um, for example, you know, we, we saw Latinos really embrace the term Mexican-American. And then and then we in the 60s, we saw the, the term Chicano be embraced. Um, and, and Chicano means, you know, that that you're that you're Mexican-American or like you were a, or more specifically, you know, you have parents who are descendants of Mexico, but you're, you're growing up here in the U.S. And then, and then, um, you know, that, that was too restrictive because it left out Central Americans and South Americans. So, so now you have, you know, Latino, Hispanic and Latinx and, you know, um, it, you know, I think it's going to evolve because, you know, one in four children who are born in the U.S. today are Hispanic. And, you know, it's going to get to the point where, where, you know, maybe those labels are going to be irrelevant because, you know, there's going to be, you know, mixed children. When, and there's a whole other thing there. You know, when we come back, I want to I'll jump in and give my little two cents on uh, the term people of color, because I mean, I've 
I've grown up hearing that, and, and, and to some degree, I, I, I like it, but I do understand where there might be some differences. We will continue our discussion with Sacramento, Sacramento Bee reporter Kim Berhorkes, and uh, this is what I consider one of the more enlightening times in, that we have in our country, and if we can learn to better see people's humanity and, uh, and, and treat them with the kind of respect that they desire, then this is how we move forward. She's Amy, I'm Jason, this is Voices of Reason. We are back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, speaking today with Kim Bohorquez. She is a Latin communities reporter for the Sacramento Bee's Capital Bureau and a journalist for Report for America. So, so earlier this month, Kim wrote uh, an article called Is Latinx Here to Stay? And Why the Term is Growing in Popularity, but Not Among Latinos. And uh, throughout this uh, episode, we've been talking about the use of certain labels to describe people of certain ethnic heritage. And uh, most recently, we just talked about people of color and the use of that, uh, that term to describe minorities, essentially. I mean, that's, in my mind, that's, that's what comes up. And as a person, uh, and I, I don't mind it, actually, I, I prefer it because it, it is inclusive in the sense that we are talking about essentially non-white people. And, and, and I don't mind that. However, everybody's not me. And, and so I don't necessarily believe that just because you can say it to me, you might not uh, make a, uh, an exception for somebody who wants to be called their preferred uh, adjective or pronoun, uh, just if you were LGBTQ. So for me, it's not a problem. However, as we try to make all of these generalizations, I can see where it be- would become an issue for somebody of a different, uh, of a different heritage. And uh, so we all should... Do as Kim was saying early on, speak to people individually. Ask them how they prefer to be described. And if, uh, if you're speaking to a group, again, there has to be some consensus as to how you might use the term that you are going to you know, uh, speak to people about. And we have to make the effort to find out what that is so that we are giving them their, their, their humanity and their, their self-respect. And, and then to us, we can be people of, you know, I, I mean, I don't think it's bad to say a progressive attitude. It yeah, is. but but Jason, let me ask you a question. So you're in this car, you meet Kim for the first time. How do you ask her what she prefers to be called without sounding like a dumb white person? Okay, I don't know that you can do that. I, I would say, <laughs> Kim, because uh, how, how, I, I mean, how, Kim, how does this go, Kim? Help us. How does it? How does it? How are these conversations happening? How did I ask you, Kim, where you were from? You know, I don't remember. I feel like I mean, maybe I just told you because I no, like actually, I you didn't. You. I asked you um, because I didn't know. Oh, okay. And so there's nothing okay. wrong with me saying so, Kim. But what's what if your she heritage? says? What, and, then, she, and then she explained yeah. it to me. Yeah, it, but sometimes, it. but sometimes Kim's gonna can back me up on this. Sometimes it is insulting. Am I right, Kim? For somebody to say, "What's yeah, your heritage?" Yeah. and and describe yeah, I mean, for it's us when it is a balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's definitely a balance, you know, because. Um, you know, that wasn't the first question that Jason asked me, you know, 
Jason didn't just meet me. Hi, I'm Jason. Where are you from? You know, you know that's when it becomes problematic. Um, you know, I think it took a few days or a few weeks. Um, yeah. You know, also, um, Jason is a person of color. You know, he, he's a black man. And, you know, he, he's probably heard that, you know, he's probably had that question asked to him. So, you know, <laughs> even times. though I don't remember, you know, how, how I brought it up, you know, he, you know, I, I could tell that, that there was definitely some sensitivity to asking that question. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, I think it's, it's natural to be curious about someone's race or, or ethnicity, um, but it shouldn't be the first question you ask somebody. You know, you, you really need to build confidence with people. You really need to build that trust. And then maybe you can ask. But, um, you know, if, if, if that's going to be the first question you ask, you know, I always say I'm from California. And usually that's not the response that people want. You know, yeah. they want to know why I'm brown. And I like, I love to make it hard for them. It's my favorite pastime. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can understand why, because it, um, it, I've, I have a sister who's a native and there are many times where people will try to ask, you know, in some are much more sensitive than others, but like, I think that's really good advice. Don't let it be the first question you ask, because it is interesting to talk to Ernie about her native heritage. But it is insulting when it people say, "What are you? Where are you from? Are you adopted?" You know things that are that seem overly personal or are just so aimed at what she looks like versus who she is. And um, I that's think a that's a great explanation for that. Yeah, super good advice, Kim. So yeah, because I I do and I do think you know what we're talking about is people of color now outdated should be should be I see everybody like it's like I went to bed and the next day. Um, I felt 155 years old <laughs> because I was like, wait, and, and, and it just coincided with Kim's article about, um, is it mostly white people using Latinx, you know, um, it, and I, that's how I feel. I feel like we're constantly, especially progressives are trying to figure out how to be sensitive, how to be considerate, but we're also trying to distinguish what's not white. And I just wonder if we're going to get to a point, do either of you think, where we stop that because so many people nowadays are are mixed even if you look at barack obama or kamala harris they're mixed race and so asking what their heritage is or trying to put them in a box is really really difficult so kim when uh and also you you mentioned something to me about uh how you describe people and i've i've been using people of latin heritage and you you made the uh you were correcting me in that that ne- that isn't necessarily the best way to describe it either. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're certainly not the only person that uses the term Latin. Um, you know, for example, we do have the Latin Grammys. You know, it's not called the Latino Grammys; it's still called the Latin Grammys. But um, I, I think I think a criticism associated with Latin is that you know it refers to the dead language, um, or, or you know, Latin is is very broad. You know, you know there are many Latin languages. You know, aside from Spanish. Um, you know, even English, you know, has words that that derive from from the from that ancient language. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's more accurate to say Latino. Um, but you know, to this day, you know, we still have um, we still have institutions like the Grammys that that still use that term. You know, and again, I I, I do try to be sensitive, but I as you say that to me, I, I'll, I can just continue doing that. Which, by the way, see, that's another thing too. People act like if. If they can't say the one word they like, then there's just no other choices. And it's, it's so difficult for them to use another word that is preferred by the people who they're actually uh, speaking to or describing. And there, there's this sense of laziness and entitlement people have to want to be able to describe 
people the way they want to rather than uh, see them and ask them how they want, them being the people that they're speaking to, uh, how, how that individual wants to be you know, characterized. And, and I don't think that's too much to ask. It's, it's sort of like when, when I speak to a young person, if they call me, I mean, I didn't used to like this, but now I'm, a, uh, I'm an AARP member. I think that, you know, calling me sir is fine. And if, if you respect people, that's just something you can do. It doesn't hurt to do that. And, and I wonder sometimes, do we lose our sense of uh, respect for others just, you know, trying to make things more convenient for us? Well, I mean, I think the short answer to that is yes. And part of that is... Um, as you get older, I remember uh, I was listening to a public hearing and a woman introduced herself and she used a really long, um, you know, very politically correct term. And uh, my husband said to me, I-, I think my day, my time here is done because it's, it feels complicated to older people, especially not, not just older, but I definitely older people, it seems to happen more with where they have called people a thing. They've always been his, the brown people in my neighborhood have always been Hispanic. Now you're telling me I have to call them Latino or Latinx. You know, why, why does the world keep changing on me? And, you know, it's silly. It's, and it is entitled. And I love what Dolly Parton said, which is just don't be a jerk. If somebody says, you know, this is what I prefer to be called. Then if I say, if you want to be called sir, and I say, you can call me Amy, don't get mad at one of us or say we're making it complicated. We want, we should all want each other to be more comfortable, right? We, well, that's if you think of somebody outside of yourself. But uh, I, I love, uh, th- that's going to be my mantra from now on. Just don't be a jerk. It's, it's, it's that simple. We will continue our discussion with Sacramento Bee reporter Kim Bajorquez talking about language and how it's used to describe people of various ethnicities. But in this case, it started out talking about people of Latino descent. And uh, it's grown into what we now know is just don't be a jerk. I like that. Uh, With Amy Donaldson, I'm Jason Lee. This is Voices of Reason. Back with the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, speaking today with Kim Bohorquez, Latino communities reporter for the Sacramento Bee's Capitol Bureau and journalist for Report for America. And uh, we've been talking away, talking about how language is used to describe people, in this case, uh, of Latino descent, and uh, just in general, we we got around to just minorities and uh, and how we can converse and and respect each other. By giving them, uh, you know, the the due that they ask for when when you describe somebody, and rather than the convenience for ourselves of just making a blanket uh, characterization about people when it may not actually uh, fit the uh, the circumstance. So, Amy, you you wanted to ask Kim something. Yeah. Well, so Kim has a unique background. She, I, I believe, she was born in California, but she moved to a small-ish, rural-ish town in in Utah County. Uh, where she was definitely uh, a, mon- a minority in numbers, <laughs> a mostly white community. And and I just wondered, um, did, and now you live back in California, you know, how did your experiences throughout your, you know, childhood and, and young adulthood, has it impacted and changed what you want to call yourself or how you see labels when you look at other people? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I, I definitely think that it really helped form my identity. And I would even say that it made me feel closer to my Hispanic heritage 
Um, so when I was 12, so I, I was originally um, born in Los Angeles, California, and I grew up there. And in the in the sixth grade, when I was around 12, I moved to Payson, Utah. And, you know, there's, it, it, you know, it's, it's like black and white, like it, it's, it's so different. Um, to go from LA to Payson, you know, a town of 10 million to, to a town of what, 30, under 30,000. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting um, that I, I didn't know I was brown until I moved to Payson. You know, that concept of like being different or being non-white hadn't been explained to me or I hadn't experienced it because the neighborhood I grew up in was very Latino. You know, there were, there were so many, you know, I had so many Asian, Black, and Armenian classmates, and, and it was actually very rare to see a white classmate. Um, you know, so when I moved to this new town, um, I, I got my first reality check of what it means to be a Latina in, in the United States when I was walking home from school and a kid that I'd never met before told me to go back to Mexico. And I wasn't even offended because I just thought that that was such an odd thing to say to someone. Um, you know, I had been to Mexico plenty of times, you know, because that's where my mom is from. And, you know, I didn't even realize that was an insult. So that, that day I went to my mom and I was like, hey, you know, why did this kid say this to me? And, you know, she, she explained to me um, what he really meant and, and that, you know, it wasn't nice to say to me. He was being um, a jerk, so which say, is what you're not supposed to do. Yeah. He's being a racist, yeah, and and you know, um, he it, it it was it was definitely you know a cold splash of reality. And so, so how did how did that going forward though? You move back to California, like what kind of perspective do you have that you think people who grew up in LA and never left have? What, I mean, what advantages or disadvantages does that give you? Yeah, I mean, you know, because I left, you know, Los Angeles, you know, I I feel like, you know, I. I kind of see how other people who are not Latino view Latinos, um, and I'm very aware of that. And, you know, being, you know, moving to a place where, you know, there aren't a lot of people that look like me, you know, it kind of made me want to discover my roots more. You know, in LA, I feel like, you know, your roots are everywhere, you know, that that's what the normative is, is over there. But in, in Utah, I really, I really had to become intentional about finding out, you know, traditions, or, you know, what, what, what makes me Latina, or, or, you know, what is, what is Hispanic culture? And, you know, I would say that it's just made me more informed about, you know, where I come from. You know, what I want to ask you, obviously, so Sacramento is considered Northern California, right? Yeah. So it's, it's different than SoCal, which LA is from. So can you kind of describe the differences of, you know, kind of growing up in the LA area, and then now living uh, in, a, in a different uh, region of the, of the state? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's still very diverse up here. Um, maybe maybe not as much as, as Los Angeles, just because Los Angeles is so huge. But, you know, you definitely have a lot of immigrant communities here. Um, it's really a cultural um, city. And um, I think what's, what's what was the most striking to me, um, you know, from being a reporter in Utah to, to being here in, in Sacramento is that I talked to lawmakers who who look like me. I talked to policy analysts and decision makers who have a similar experience as me or a similar experience to my family. And and that's that's really weird, um, you know, because usually, you know, I, I'm used to talking to people who who don't look like me or people who who don't, you know, identify or, or like know my story. So, you know, it, it, it really, it, it's just very interesting. And, and I think that I'm a better reporter because I understand where they're coming from and I understand their culture. I wanted to get to to one other thing. You know, 
you, you've kind of enlightened me today just because, again, uh, just understanding how people see themselves and uh, you're asking us, the, the general public, to be more aware of that and to be willing to accept people for who they want to, uh, to be uh, considered and viewed as rather than making it, you know, our business to describe them for ourselves. And, and I'm... Um, do you feel like as you you've grown up and again you're just kind of in uh, your early stages of your career as a reporter that you have you watched some change occur or or do you feel like you're seeing some differences in the way it was you know when you first started or when you thought about this as a career to now being right in it You know I haven't been in this career very long so you know I I'm not sure that I can I can answer that um too well but you know, I, I didn't meet my first um, Latina journalist until until I was, you know, 22. Um, and, and that was a reporter at KSL who was just hired from, from previously working at Telemundo. Um, and, you know, something that I have seen, though, is the importance of having journalists of color um, be in those newsrooms. You know, we, we saw that emphasized, you know, after the George Floyd protests. And, you know, I think I think it's going to I think it has momentum right now, and I think it's something that that um, news organizations are going to have to take really seriously about about hiring diverse and and um, you know journalists and, and and some that come from underrepresented communities. That seems to be very difficult because uh, you and I sat in the new in, in the same newsroom, and we were uh, among the very few people of color. As I as I went around the, I've uh, done various different beats in my job and so very frequently even in sports uh as far as reporters go there's very few that are minorities despite the fact that so many of the people that we cover in these sports are minorities and it's it's one of those things where there has to be intentionality from the people who are doing the hiring to want diversity to be part of their staff especially as they cover uh, things uh, on a variety of topics uh, across this country but uh it has to come from a place where they want to, you know, rep- cover this uh, these communities in, in a representative form, in a way that is fair to them, in a way that is understood by the people who is act- who are actually covering them. And uh, we 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 have to make a bigger push, but there also has to be kind of fr- uh, from the leadership of these news organizations uh, a willingness and a desire to see a better sense of coverage for uh, the people that they actually serve. I would just ask along those lines, Kim, what advantages do you see to having a more diverse newsroom as far as coverage and story ideas, that kind of stuff? What, what benefit is it? I think the most obvious one is that you get to talk to people who are normally not included in the newspaper. You know, when I, when I came to the Sacramento Bee, for example, you know, I had the intention of going away from, from the usual coverage um, that, that, you know, legacy media has has had on Latinos, you know, which which mainly focused on immigration or crime, you know, or you know, or, or, or seeing their mugshots in a newspaper, you know, that was representation. I feel um, in in a lot of newspapers, and you know, coming into the B, you know, with with this mission, you know, I want to I, I want to represent how healthcare impacts Latino communities, how air quality, which is an issue that that is really important to the Latino community here in California, um, has expressed, and you know, it's. You know, because I'm from that community, you know, I see, you know, I get to see the, the different aspects of it and, and, and what that community really cares about. Um, and, and I think it's important to have, you know, di- diverse 
people in in the newsroom because you know they add they add to the coverage or they see things that that normally you know uh, you know a reporter who who isn't from a diverse community wouldn't see. Listen, I appreciate having Kim Bajorquez, Latino communities reporter for the Sacramento Bee's Capitol Bureau and journalist for Report for America, and our former colleague and uh, a friend. I would think. I know we uh, miss thank you. Thank you very much for having us, uh, for joining us today. And uh, we'll hope to have you uh, write something great again. And uh, you can read her stuff at, uh, on the Sacramento, Sacramento Bee's website, which is sacbee.com. Uh, join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at adonsports and at jasonlee1. Our show's Twitter, hand- Twitter handle is at vrpodcast. Check out our Facebook page, and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all the other places where you might find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. Thank you. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.